Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Welcome to episode 45, our third and final episode on the Eighth Commandment, Thou Shalt Not Bear False Witness. So today we are going to look at truth, specifically in relation to the media and art. And as an arts person who is also obsessed with the truth, I am super excited to talk about this topic. Okay, now the church has a lot to say about these two areas, media and art. And that makes sense because these are like the two kind of pillars of public discourse. They're the two main ways that we as a society think and share ideas with each other. So it's really important that as Christians, we know how to use these tools well. So beginning with the media. Now, This term media covers not just the news, but also movies, TV, radio, podcasts, and social media. These all fall under the sort of umbrella term of what Pope Paul VI calls social communications media. However, for the purposes of this episode, we're mainly going to focus on the news. And the reason for that is that, first of all, we kind of covered the principles of private social media use in our last episode. And then secondly, the areas of film and TV and radio are going to kind of fall under the banner of the arts, which we will talk about later. So for now, we're just going to talk about news media. Now, this is an area that is so important today, truth in the news, because as I'm sure we've all noticed over the last few decades, the media has become a really powerful force, not just for telling us what's going on in the world, but also for shaping people's worldviews and their values and politics. So Pope John Paul II said in his message for the 37th World Communications Day that the power of the media to shape human relationships and influence political and social life, both for good and for ill, has enormously increased. And it's so true. Like I think about myself, right? If someone says to me, oh, Caitlin, did you hear about that really controversial thing that happened in politics yesterday? And I'm like, no, I haven't heard anything. I'll look it up. One of the first things that I will do is that I jump on my favorite news website. Usually it's the one that aligns most closely with my own values to try to find out what has happened. But there's also a part of me that wants to be told why it happened and who was in the right and who was in the wrong, right? Essentially, whose side I should be on. So I'm looking to the media, not just to give me the facts, but also to interpret the facts for me. Now, why do I do this? Well, there are a few reasons, but I think one of the main ones is that there's just so much information and so many opinions floating around in the world these days that I just don't have time to analyze and understand everything myself. So I just need someone to tell me what's going on. But I think another reason why people tend to turn to the media is because many people today don't really have another source of authority that we can rely on. So many people have lost their faith in institutions and religion and politics and politicians. 
and we have this sense that, you know, the news is where I go to get the facts, right? We're like, well, the newspaper at least will just tell it how it is. So that's where we go. So for better or worse, news outlets have much more power and thus much more responsibility these days to really represent things accurately and truthfully. So how can the media honor that responsibility? Well, point 2494 of the catechism gives us four kind of core values that should always drive news media. And these are truth, freedom, justice, and solidarity. Now, we're going to unpack all four of these, but as we'll see over the course of this discussion, all four of these values are absolutely necessary. When we isolate just one of them and ignore the others, we risk spreading information in a way that might be damaging or irresponsible. So beginning with truth. And this can be a tricky one because many people today don't even believe in objective truth. And we can see the effects of that when we look at the media. Once we remove that pillar of objective truth, the media becomes a place where we share personal opinions. And paradoxically, it actually becomes really dogmatic and close-minded, right? The media becomes a mouthpiece for a certain political or social agenda. It's a place where I try to win people over to my side of the argument, rather than it being a place where we all collectively try to seek and share objective truth. And this is the thing, right? Believing in objective truth does not mean that we can't have different opinions. It doesn't mean that we all have to become limited and close-minded and you know shut down public discussion and every news outlet is saying exactly the same thing. Actually, the opposite is true. And again, it's a kind of paradox that the desire to seek genuine truth actually leads us to be curious, to open up, to listen to other opinions, to look at the whole picture, to really try to understand what is happening and why, rather than just putting forward the opinions of one set of people or twisting the news to match my personal agenda. So when I have this approach of genuinely seeking and sharing the truth, I'm going to end up publishing things that are more accurate, that are more complex and thoughtful and considered, rather than being sort of reactionary and emotional and oversimplified. And this leads us to our second value, which is freedom. In order to seek and share the truth, the media has to be free. Now, This doesn't mean total license, right? Freedom of the press does not mean that we have the right to be cruel or unjust or to tell lies. It always has to be balanced with truth, justice, and charity. So for instance, I don't have the right to publish, you know, the name and address of a public figure so that people can go and egg his house. Okay. I don't have the right to slander someone or to write demeaning personal comments in the name of hashtag press freedom, but Within those bounds of truth, justice, and charity, the press should always be free to share information about what's going on in the world. And if something is true, just, and charitable, then no authority or individual has the right to put pressure on a media outlet or you know, on a journalist to withhold information or to change the information that they're sharing. Point 2499 of the Catechism says that 
moral judgment must condemn the plague of totalitarian states, which exercise their political control of opinion through the media, and imagine that they secure their tyranny by strangling and repressing everything that they consider thought crimes. And here, I mean, the catechism is referring specifically to a kind of like 1984 situation where the government has a stranglehold over the press. But actually, we can see elements of this in many places around the world where, you know, it's not necessarily the government. Maybe it's through social media, right? And public pressure. There's this attempt to kind of force news outlets to conform to a certain opinion or viewpoint rather than leaving them free to genuinely seek and share the truth. Okay, and then thirdly, justice. This is a really important one because sometimes we can have this attitude of, you know, well, it's true, right? It actually happened. Therefore, I automatically have the right to report on it. But that's not always the case. So, for example, say that someone has been charged with a crime, right? And then the media goes and publishes details of the allegations before that person has actually been through a criminal trial. Well, in a situation like that, it might become really difficult for that person to achieve a fair trial. People refer to it as a trial by media. Another example is publishing details about the private life of a public figure that don't need to be shared with the general public. That can be an offence against justice. So point 2492 of the Catechism says, those in charge of communications should maintain a fair balance between the requirements of the common good and respect for individual rights. Interference by the media in the private lives of persons engaged in political or public activity is to be condemned to the extent that it infringes upon their privacy and freedom. Basically, what the Catechism is saying is that some things do need to be talked about publicly, okay, for the sake of the common good. But in many instances, especially when it comes to the private lives of public figures, if the information does not impact the lives of others and it doesn't need to be shared for the common good, then it's no one else's business, right? The media doesn't have the right to share it, even if it's true. So if you want to think a bit more about this, you can go back to our last episode where we talked about people's rights to a good name. And then lastly, we have solidarity. In other words, we're all in this together in the words of High School Musical. Another term that we can use is charity. Point 2497 of the Catechism says that by the very nature of their profession, journalists have an obligation to serve the truth and not offend against charity in disseminating information. So even if something has happened that needs to be reported on, The media has a responsibility to talk about it in a way that is charitable and that doesn't catastrophize or scandalize people or cause disunity. Now, that does not mean that we can't critique or challenge or disagree. Of course we can. It doesn't always have to be happy, happy, nicey. But there is a difference between reporting on something and critiquing it and being unkind. So, for example, say that a political party has legislated something immoral. And a public commentator hops online and writes a piece explaining what the new laws are and outlining why they are immoral. Awesome. Great stuff. Go for your life. Okay. That is different to someone getting online and being like, these idiots, (laughs) no brains, and they dare to call themselves good people. It is high time someone gave them a kick in the pants. Okay. Uncharitable, unnecessary. Even when you're on the right side of the argument, that doesn't give you the right to dispense with kindness, as satisfying as it might be. 
My 15-year-old sister, who is literally the wisest person in the world, said something recently that was really spot on. She said, it should never be me against you. It should always be both of us against the problem. And I love that. They're so wise. As much as possible, even when we disagree, we have to try to work with each other, right? To understand each other and disagree respectfully and try to figure out what's true together. And you might hear that and think, and I've heard people say this, that, well, the other side are being so horrible that we need to fight fire with fire, right? Like people are mean to us, so we have to be mean to them. Nope, (laughs) not how that works. What is the one, what's our one job, right? The golden rule, love God and love your neighbor. That's, we always have an obligation to be kind. So truth, freedom, justice, and solidarity or charity. These are the criteria that should always underpin news media. And if you're someone who works in the media, these are excellent criteria that you can use to assess your own work by. And if you don't work in this area, you can still use these criteria to decide where you get your news, right? To assess what you're reading. So rather than thinking, does this newspaper reinforce my own politics or values? We can ask ourselves, Are they genuinely aiming for truth and justice? Are they approaching issues with charity? And if they're not, you can hold them accountable, right? Go write a letter of complaint. We have the right to demand these values in our news media. And this leads us to our final point about the media. The fact that every single one of us has a responsibility to be proactive in how we engage with it. So point 2496 of the Catechism says that the means of social communication can give rise to a certain passivity among users, making them less vigilant consumers of what is said or shown. So in other words, it's really easy these days, especially because we have the internet and the news is updated every five minutes. It's easy to treat the news like we treat social media, right? To just scroll through it and constantly check it and read and absorb everything, but not actually critically reflect on what we're reading. And I know I do that, especially because I don't have social media. So I often treat the news like it's social media. And when we do that, a couple of things can happen. First of all, we can end up filling our heads with information and details that are unnecessary and that actually distract us from the things that matter. There's this great quote from the book Fahrenheit 451. It says, if you don't want men unhappy politically, don't give them two sides to a question to worry them. Give them one. Better yet, give them none. Cram them so full of non-combustible data. Chock them so damned full of facts that they feel stuffed but absolutely brilliant with information. Then they'll feel that they're thinking. They'll get a sense of motion without moving. I think that's something that we can all fall into, right? This thing of just absorbing way too much unnecessary information that actually crowds our brains. So at the start of the episode, when we were talking about how there's just so much information in the world and I don't have time to analyze it all, so I rely on the news, maybe this is part of the problem, right? Maybe we need to go back to those questions that we asked in the last episode. Do I need to know about this? Do I need to have an opinion on this? Maybe as consumers of the news, we need to be more deliberate in our approach to think about what are the issues that really matter to me? What are the things that I really need to know about and understand? And then spend time diligently trying to understand them in depth rather than just passively absorbing everything. And this leads us to the second negative consequence of being a passive news consumer. We can end up having our own values shaped by popular opinion or by my favorite newspaper. 
So there's this quote from Anna Karenina where Tolstoy talks about this character, Stefan. It says that he firmly held the same views as the majority and his newspaper did. And he changed them only when the majority did. Or rather, he did not change them, but they themselves changed imperceptibly in him. He chose neither his tendency nor his views, but these tendencies and views came to him themselves. That's such an interesting idea that our values can kind of just arrive on a silver platter and then we just absorb them rather than us intelligently forming our own complex opinions. So how do we avoid falling into these pitfalls? Well, the Catechism offers the following solution. It says... Users should practice moderation and discipline in their approach to the mass media. They will want to form enlightened and correct consciences, the more easily to resist unwholesome influences. So there's a couple of things there. First of all, moderation and discipline. Rather than just gorging ourselves on the news all the time, maybe we need to set limits, right? Only check the news once a day, only read a few articles and then read them deeply and with our critical thinking caps on. And then secondly, forming our consciences. So this means not just relying on the media to shape my values, but also getting to know my own faith better, getting to know what I actually believe, maybe reading some philosophy or theology or even just reading really good literature, right? Also getting to know what the other side has to say about a particular issue or argument. All of these things will help me to actually become someone who can critically assess what I read. Okay, so that's truth and the media. Now let's talk about truth, beauty, and art. Oh my gosh, guys, art. I love the art so much. Art is one of the marks of our humanity. It is a path to the transcendent. It is literally the best. So the catechism talks about the relationship between truth and beauty. Point 2500 says, truth carries with it the joy and splendor of spiritual beauty. Truth is beautiful in itself. And I'm sure we've all experienced that before, right? Where you read something or you hear something that's just so true and something inside you just kind of clicks and you feel really peaceful and happy and you have to like pause for a second and be like, whoa. (laughs) And in those moments, that's us recognizing the beauty of truth. We have to sort of pause to admire it like we would a painting or a sunset. Now, of course, one of the main ways that we express truth is through our words, but the Catechism points out that truth can also find other forms of human expression, above all when it's a matter beyond words, the depths of the human heart, the exaltations of the soul, the mystery of God. So basically, there are times when we can't articulate something verbally because it transcends the limits of language, right? And when that happens, we can find other nonverbal ways of communicating through music or visual art or dance. Actually, that's an idea. Maybe one day I'll record a a video podcast episode that's just me doing like an improvised contemporary dance to explain one of the points of the catechism. No, okay, we're talking about things that, that transcend language. And seriously, anyone who's been to the ballet knows that dance has the capacity to do that. Any art has the capacity to do that. Now, one of the reasons why artistic expressions of truth are so wonderful is that this is one of the languages that God uses to communicate with us. So the catechism points out that Even before revealing himself to man in words of truth, God reveals himself to him through the universal language of creation. 
So God speaks to us through his creative action, through the beauty and the harmony of the natural world. And then we can get to know God, not just by appreciating and spending time in nature, which we should do, but also by using our own creative powers to kind of participate in that, right? To sort of reflect and and to be led to that fullness of beauty and truth, which is God himself. And when you think about it, that is an incredible privilege. Through art, human beings can reach out and touch the transcendent in a way that no other material being can. So I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and she's a really creative person. She's like a walking renaissance. So she plays the piano and she's joined a choir and she writes poetry and hand makes costumes and goes to the symphony and the theater. She's amazing. And it was really interesting because, I mean, this friend isn't a Christian, but one of the things she was saying was she was like, all of these things, every creative avenue in my life, they are all kind of different pathways to the same thing, right? They're ways for me to appreciate and explore philosophy and truth and the world around me. And I think that's really spot on that any form of art, whether we're making it or consuming it, can be a path to the transcendent and ultimately to God. And it's actually so important that we allow art to pull us out of the drudgery and mundanity of a kind of like purely economic existence, right? Like a life where my only function is to finish school, get a job, buy a house, and then work until I die. (laughs) Art reminds us that there is something more, right? That we're made for more. We're made for heaven, And this is why, you know, dictators and totalitarian governments, one of the first things they do is squash the arts, trying to keep people locked in the kind of petty everyday so that they don't start asking those big questions. Now, one thing that I want to point out is that the catechism refers to art being beautiful to the extent that it is inspired by truth and love of beings. That is really important, okay? Not all art (laughs) is beautiful. And I think sometimes we can assume that like modern and contemporary art is just like uniformly ugly because it's abstract. And I don't think that's precisely true. I mean, you look at the work of someone like Mark Rothko or Andy Goldsworthy, and their work is so beautiful, even though it's not sort of traditional art. And of course, there's also a subjective element to it. Like you might not personally like the work of Mark Rothko. I thought I didn't like the work of Mark Rothko. And then I Googled him to show him to a friend to be like, yeah, I don't like this guy. And then all these images came up and I was like, no, this is actually really nice. And now I love his work. So there is a subjective element to it. But putting that subjective element aside, I think what makes so much postmodern and contemporary art unattractive isn't that it's abstract, but that it's not grounded in truth, right? It's not seeking to express something transcendent about the human person or about, you know, love or grief or joy. It's just art for art's sake. Or even worse, it's art about the fact that there is no truth and life is meaningless. (laughs) So the Catechism goes on to say that art is not an absolute end in itself, but is ordered to and ennobled by the ultimate end of man. So in other words, art should always be pointing up. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that it always has to be directly about God, that we can only make religious art. No, of course not. But what it does mean is that art should always be seeking truth and beauty and goodness in some way. Having said that, there is, of course, a place for explicitly religious art. And in fact, 
Sacred art is a really, really important means of contemplating God. Point 2502 says that sacred art is true and beautiful when it evokes and glorifies in faith and adoration the transcendent mystery of God. So just like with secular art, and in fact, perhaps even more so, sacred art shouldn't just be pretty, right? It should always explicitly help us to contemplate God. There's a little book that's available online that I'll include in the show notes. And all it is, is just a series of classic paintings depicting each of the mysteries of the rosary. And something like that, especially if you're anything like me and you're easily distracted, something like that can really help us to pray and contemplate deeply. So the Catechism says that genuine sacred art draws man to adoration, to prayer, and to the love of God. Now, (laughs) there is some religious art out there that unfortunately doesn't fulfill that purpose, either because it is deeply lame or because it's so kind of like funky and abstract that it actually distracts us from contemplation. And by art here, we're talking about, you know, the statues and stained glass windows in churches, but also things like, you know, hymns and music and, and everything that kind of surrounds us in the mass. So for this reason, the catechism encourages bishops specifically to see to the promotion of sacred art, old and new. That's really interesting, right? It's not just saying like preserve all of the classic art. Yes, of course, keep that. But it's okay for religious art to be contemporary, provided that it still actually raises our hearts to God, right? So the promotion of sacred art, old and new, in all its forms, and (laughs) I love this, with the same religious care, remove from places of worship everything which is not in conformity with the truth of the faith and the authentic beauty of sacred art. So in other words, catechism is like, um, let's just gently take down the really lame art and replace it with something more powerful that actually helps us to pray. So here is my challenge to you. Sometime over the next couple of weeks, engage with the arts, either as a creative or a consumer. Write a poem, paint a picture, draw a flower, (laughs) knit something, plant something, bake something, watch a classic film, go to the theatre. Actually, one thing I'll do is I'll include some links um, online. This is a great thing about COVID, right, is that there are a lot of ways that you can actually interact with the arts online. So I'll include some links to things like um, online like exhibitions and you can like experience different galleries online. So it can be online or it can be in person. You can make it or you can consume it. And it doesn't matter if you make something completely crappy as well. Like I have recently been writing terrible poems. (laughs) They are awful. I'm not a poet, but that doesn't matter because that's not the point, right? The point isn't to show other people and be a genius and create a masterpiece. I mean, like props to you if you can do that, but that's not the point. The point is that art is about contemplating and expressing and experiencing truth. So, you know, get amongst it. Okay. That marks the end of our discussion of the eighth commandment. Woohoo! Next we have the ninth and 10th commandments. Guys, we're nearly at the end of the 10 commandments. Oh my gosh. It is awesome. I can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight and I will talk to you soon. Bye.